You know, when we look back on 2023, there'll be a lot of big issues uh, we can look back on, whether it be at an international level, local, or even national. But when you look at local local uh, developments, especially in news and policy, uh, the housing policy that the NDP introduced, their housing policy this last legislative session, will be one of those big moments. Uh, It may not look like it at this point, but certainly in the months and years ahead, it has the potential to have a significant impact on housing here for Metro Vancouver and throughout the province. So starting July 1st of 2024, developers will be able to start building a minimum of three and up to six units on lots currently zoned for single-family homes and duplexes in municipalities of about 5,000 people. The legislation also legalizes secondary suites and laneway homes across the province and uh, promises uh, to streamline the zoning process as well. So it's very significant. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the legislation, some of the smaller details that I think have to be fleshed out. And the guy to do it certainly is Michael Geller, president of the Geller Group. He's an architect, planner, and real estate consulting consultant as well. Michael, once again, thank you for joining us today. I'm pleased to be invited back. Well, lots to talk about here. Uh, let's... Um, talk about sort of the macro issues first and foremost with with all this legislation the premier was here last week uh, he talked about uh, when it comes to housing taking big swings he was sitting exactly where you're sitting right now um, let me start talk, first of all talk about the broad zoning uh, provincially and especially here in Metro Vancouver do you expect um, over the long term that home prices as that report uh, the report from the government stated that home prices have the potential to come down actually in this city There's no doubt that if you continue to increase the supply, especially both a mixture of more expensive but more affordable housing, that should bring down the price. Uh, But I did have a concern reading the report that the minister uh, presented, and there's an incredible amount of data and information. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you make a lot of assumptions, if one or two of those assumptions aren't correct, you can't necessarily believe the final results. So I have some concerns with some of the projections, namely the number of new homes that might be built or the reduction in price as a result of these government policies. But regardless, the fact is what's being proposed is significant. And for all of your listeners who currently have a single family house anywhere in Metro Vancouver or in the Fraser Valley outside of Metro, Mm -hmm. there's some significant ramifications of what the government is proposing. So let's talk about, uh, just in regards to housing itself, when you've read that report, I know you've uh, mentioned things on social media. What are the things uh, that concern you? Like what are the sort of the big things that you go, wait a minute here, it's not mentioned here or not discussed enough? Well, actually, I've read three reports. Hmm. And uh, anyone who's interested in housing, these reports are available. They're online. You don't have to be a, an architect or planner or real estate economist to read them. They're available on the government websites. One of the reports projects how many new homes might be built and uh, how the prices might come down and why they may come down. But another one of the reports talks about this, what they call small-scale multi-unit housing initiative, which is the one that would allow three to six homes to be built on a single-family lot. Mm -hmm. And another report is on what they call transit-oriented areas. So if you, for instance, are living near Dunbar and 41st, where there's a small bus loop that most of us have ignored for years, that area is now scheduled for 8 to 12-story buildings at uh, 
four times the size of the land area. So that could be a dramatic transformation of that area. And it's one of about 60 different bus loops around Metro Vancouver mm -hmm. that have been identified as areas. So people who own homes in those areas probably can expect to see an increase in value, especially if they get together with their neighbors and uh, do what we call a land assembly, and some realtor comes along and offers it. It would be naive to suggest the values of those particular properties won't go up. They will go up. Uh, what about, so those are all single-family homes in many cases. How do we, I mean, is the infrastructure there to, for servicing? Well, that's one of the biggest concerns, one of the two big concerns that I have. Mm -hmm. the, a lot of the reports ignore the reality that there simply isn't sufficient sewer water capacity in many areas that would support dramatic increases in the number of homes. Now, if somebody wants to put six homes in one lot, there's enough water, there's enough sewer, without a doubt. But somebody contacted me today. People who ride the SkyTrain know that there's one or two stations in Vancouver. You go along and the stations are surrounded by bungalows. And they said, well, why haven't they developed these areas with high-rises like they have in other locations? It's because there simply isn't the services there right now. And so that is a major, a major constraint that I think is going to impact uh, the amount of development. Uh, a number of people, especially in the planning world, are concerned that the province is taking over the, the powers normally assigned to the municipalities. However, I suspect that if the municipal engineers tell somebody, look, there's simply not capacity to build 25 homes in this area, that the municipality will call the shots, not the province. Hmm. Uh, and what about, uh, I mean, somebody has to build these at the end of the day. How much of an impact, in, there's been constant conversation about labor. How real is that concern? Well, I think it is real because one of the largest developers in the province contacted me last week to say, I, I've been following some of your comments, Geller, and this is these policies are, imp who's going to build all these homes? Now, he's a major developer, mm -hmm. but he knows how difficult it is to often get labor. He did a development up in Squamish and actually ended up putting up workers from Alberta in trailers because he knew otherwise he couldn't get enough people to build homes in Squamish. And anyone listening to us right now in Squamish knows how difficult it is to find. So that's, those are two significant factors. So the labor, labor and, serv and servicing capacities for water and sewer. So that's going to. So if somebody's going to invest, even a big developer, they've got to take into consideration water, so and all that other servicing costs that that's probably going to come with that. And in reality, I think it'll be the municipalities working with the province and the federal government, because the federal government has historically played a role in funding infrastructure. That's how the infrastructure will need to be built, because an individual builder with one or two lots isn't going to be able to afford. I helped somebody with a little property in Dunbar. He wanted to put up a six-story apartment building. In the end, the planner said yes, but they said check the services. And when we hired an engineer to check the services, it was going to be $1.6 million just to upgrade the services for a little 35-unit apartment building. That's what many people are about to discover. Wow, that's interesting. Now, one of the things you've mentioned on, on social media is FSR, and please correct me if I'm wrong, floor space ratio. And what that basically means 
that let's say if a property, and I'm using this as a general example, it dictates sort of the square footage uh, size of the property that you can build. So if let's say you had a um, a thousand square feet, and if the FSR was zero point six percent, you could build six hundred square feet. You got it, right? Something like that. So on a typical lot mm-hmm. in Vancouver, say a thirty-three foot lot, fourth approximately four thousand square feet. Right now, you could build under three thousand square feet of, okay. of building. One of the assumptions in this report, prepared by some very highly educated and respected economists, mm-hmm. is that that ultimately municipalities will allow an increase from, say, 0.8 FSR to 1.5 FSR. And not just in Vancouver, everywhere in Metro Vancouver. And when I read that, I did get a bit upset because although I once nearly got a vanity license plate that said rezone (laughs) because I made a living getting higher density for clients and myself... In this case, I think they're being unduly optimistic. The other thing is, it's not right. If these programs are going to succeed, there has to be, I think, an incremental increase. And the increase in Burnaby is going to be different than the increase in Castlegar. But the assumptions, if I understand the report properly, Mm -hmm. the assumptions are that throughout the province, there's going to be a significant increase in density, even for these small multi-use, multi-unit uh, developments. And I think it's wrong. And last night I was on a debate with someone on Twitter mm-hmm. saying you, he is accusing me of being wrong and unfair because I suggested maybe in West Vancouver the amount of homes or the amount of area built on a particular lot, the floor space ratio or the floor area ratio, as they call it in West Van, should probably be lower than it might be in Vancouver. He said, well, that's not right. West Vancouver should take more than its fair share because it hasn't built very much in the last few years. So you're, you, what you're arguing at its core, without beyond the numbers, is that the policy will lead to greater density but also homogenization. This, with what you're saying, there needs to be some flexibility in the policy to, to allow for local values, local perceptions, uh, local character to a certain degree in regards to how we build. Right. And to be fair to the province, in the actual planning manuals, and they call them that, planning manuals, they are not telling the di- planning director in West Van, you have to approve 1.5 FSR, even though Dr. Tom Davidoff used that number for his mathematical modeling. We are speaking to Michael Geller, president of the Geller Group. He's an architect and planner as well and real estate consultant. We're talking about, of course, the NDP's housing legislation that has passed and the impact, the potential impact, uh, on many neighborhoods. Give us a call on the open line if you want to chat about what impact that may have on your neighborhood, 604-280-9898. Now, one of the things, Michael, I think everybody listening to our conversation, this is going to impact medium-sized and big developers and people's neighborhoods. But if someone is sitting on a property, in, in your estimation, what kind of lot would benefit or an owner would benefit on, on, a, on a lot in regards to what could be developed? What would you think would be one type of lot that perhaps developers would be looking at? Well, let me say publicly things that I say privately. Okay. <laughs> what I tell my friends privately is the properties that will likely increase the most in value as a result of these government initiatives are the larger lots. 
Now, some people would say in the past, a larger lot, yes, you could build a slightly larger house and you would have a bigger backyard. Mm-hmm. Now you can start to put four or five homes in that backyard and have more room to park cars. So my prediction, mm-hmm. and people can tell me if I'm right in three or five years, is that larger lots are generally going to appreciate more in value than smaller lots just because of the, the development potential. So when you say larger lots, what do you mean by that? Well, in Vancouver and many municipalities, a, a small lot is around 4,000 square feet. Um, some lots get up 5,000, 6,000 square feet. But certainly lots that are over 6,000 square feet, they're definitely going to increase in value because this floor space ratio, floor area ratio, let's say it's one to keep it simple. That means you can build 6,000 square feet. And if you're building four homes, it means you can build four 1,500 square foot townhouses where that little bungalow is currently sitting. And let's say if you have a lot of eight to 10,000, uh, that's the, and you, that, that would actually help you with parking and you could build quite easily that way. That's right. And if the floor area ratio, the municipality allows, does start to be in greater than one, which is what Tom David and others have been encouraging the government to try and mandate, mm-hmm. then you certainly can have a lot more building on those lots. Uh, what do you say to those, uh, we were talking about floor space ratio a little bit here, that, that, that disagree with you and say, look, we have a housing crisis. Let's get on, get to building and quit worrying about some of these and quibbling about these little things that we don't need to be worrying about. We're already a decade, 15 years behind now. Let's get on to building and worrying about supply. What do you say to that? Well, I think the character of our neighborhoods is important. Now, some people say that's because I'm an architect. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a developer too. But I do think that it's the character of our neighborhoods that is what attracts us. And if they start to change too dramatically and too quickly, I wouldn't be surprised if that brings down a government. And I say that sincerely. Mm -hmm. That's why if I was Ravi Kalan or David Eby, they are wise in not telling the municipalities that you must uh, build so much within all these different neighborhoods. Although what they're proposing in the transit-oriented areas, I think that that could result in some revolutionary transformative changes in neighborhoods like 41st and Dunbar and another 60 bus loops around the the region. Mm -hmm. I think you raise a very good point. I mean, there's a healthy balance between a younger generation and broadly generalizing because I think housing, uh, uh, housing challenges impact seniors as they impact millennials and Gen Z. Uh, But there is a desire certainly for the younger generation to get on building. And there's still an older generation, uh, those of us who probably were fortunate to get into the housing market, live in single family neighborhoods, don't want to see too much change too fast either. And there's that healthy balance. Yeah. It's terrific if every lot along the street gets redeveloped. And if you go down the Canby Corridor, a significant number of those little bungalows are now have now been replaced by six-story apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. But there's still some bungalows stuck in between those high mid-rise buildings because the people, they love living there and they don't want to move. And if you want to see what concerns me, go down to Seattle. And there's a number of neighborhoods in Seattle where you got a lot of little houses and then next door is a big three-story 
uh, building, they call them six packs because people put six homes on one lot, just what we're talking about. Um, and it's really? known that if you Google the Seattle six pack, it's not a beer. It's a housing development form. Really? We got Vancouver specials. They got Seattle six packs. I didn't know that. Michael, as always, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me.